Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have and the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Father God, thank you so much for being a good and gracious God, a generous God, a God who speaks to us and speaks to us through your word. And today, Lord, as we come before, as we sit under it, may you again speak to us. May your spirit be at work convicting our hearts, helping us to understand you deeper and understand how we can live a life that glorifies your name. We do pray for that now. In your son's name, amen. Uh, So I was watching a show... Uh, a series uh, on TV on Disney Plus called The Bear. I don't know if you guys have seen it. I've got a, a, just an image. I ha- who actually has, has seen the show? One person. Good. Let me explain it to you. You don't need to watch it. I'm going to explain it to you. It's, I just stumbled across it, and I thought it was really quite interesting. It's about a guy, that, a chef, right, who leaves the fine dining world to run a sandwich shop. His brother, who passed away, in, he inherits the, the sandwich shop from his brother, he makes it his mission to turn this sandwich shop, the bear, it's called the bear, the, into a successful business. Right? Now he has to figure out how to work with his staff, a current bunch of, of misfit, uh, misfits that, and, and new hires as well. And he has to figure out how do they work together so it can be a smooth running operation, essentially, a smooth running uh, sandwich shop. And what he starts doing, one of the changes he starts making, he's, he starts calling everyone chef. Right? So everyone in, in the kitchen, you're, you're now called chef. You're like, it used to be for them, you know, only the head chef is called chef. But now he calls everyone chef. Every chef is responsible for their own station. So cleaning that station, uh, making it look presentable, looking after your station. Chef, your chef, as a chef, you've got to look after your own station. 
Now, as, as you watch this show, uh, it, it's, well, it's quite interesting. I'm, I'm learning a lot about fine dining. I'm not a fine dining person. Give me fast food any day. But I was learning about fine dining. <laughs> you guys probably like, Mikey, this is so, everyone knows this. There's a, there's a hierarchy of chefs in the kitchen. Did you know that? So there's the exec chef, I Googled this, exec chef, head chef, sous chef, senior chefs, line chefs, and so forth. I'm, simplifi I'm simplifying it a bit. But the chefs are working in their stations, they're finding their places, their passions, and the restaurant, uh, and for a restaurant to excel, if you go to any fine dining restaurant, they have to all function like clockwork, right? They have to work together. Now this show, if you ever do watch it, it does have a lot of swearing in appropriate language, but you'll feel, <laughs> gasp, you'll feel the mayhem of the kitchen, right? From the first episode, Heidi and I, we felt anxiety. We were like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. Like everyone's yelling at each other, swearing at each other, trying to get things happening. Uh, You've got the, the pastry chef whose job is to just make bread rolls, but he's, he's starting to branch. He's like, I want to make donuts, I want to make cakes. And so they're yelling, where are the bread rolls? He's like, oh, I'm in the middle of making a cake right now, right? So they're yelling at each other. There's another person whose uh, job is uh, a chef who gets jealous of another chef, so she sabotages her by burning her food and they have to start all over again. Everyone's yelling. So there's that happening. There's another moment where, because uh, it's such a you know, small enclosed space, uh, a guy's you know, backing up and then a, a, one of the other chefs is holding a knife and he gets stabbed in the butt and everyone's just swearing and yelling at each other. And it's mayhem, right? utter chaos. You have to watch it. It gives you anxiety. But, <laughs> but it's really, it's actually really interesting. Like the more you watch it, it's quite interesting because it, it gets, like, it's, it, there's these moments of magic where they come together and although they, they don't like each other, over time they start to encourage each other. They start to tell each other, hey, good job, this actually tastes really good. They start giving each other respect and, and, and they say things like, oh, I actually need you here. I want you to stay on. I don't want you to quit this job. I want you to stay because we need you here. Continue doing what you're doing because you're doing it so well. And I love that. I love that because uh, you, know, you watch any series and you, see, you, know, see, you sort of see that character development. You, you sort of see that magic and, and people coming together, a, broke, a group of broken people working together, swearing at each other, all that, but coming together to eventually encourage each other, empower each other, even amongst the stress and mayhem and hecticness of running a kitchen. Keep going, even when it goes hard. And isn't that something real? Like, isn't that something we see in everyday life? We see in our parts, in so many parts of life, where we do better when we have support and encouragement and people empowering us, where we feel safer in numbers, where we need each other. This might sound trivial, but let me give you an example: going to the gym. Right? I'm that guy who goes to the gym, and I will lift heavier and go harder and sweat more when I have people around urging me on. A mate who would say, Mikey, another one, another one, Mikey, another one, right? And when you have that friend who encourages you, you know, to, to just push harder. I will push harder because I have a friend empowering me, encouraging me to do that. Or, or take, for example, if you, had a, if you had a crush, right, on someone, a guy, a girl, what do you call that friend? A wingman, a wingwoman, right? We, we know that in culture that people do that. We, we, we need a friend who's going to be our wingman, so for example... You know, have you met Ross? Oh, man. <laughs> Ross is such a good guy. He serves at church every week, music ministry. He loves kids. He stacks the chairs every week. Doesn't get asked, you know. Wow, what a man. Man, Ross would feel, oh, yeah. Chuffed a bit, right? Like, I would feel that, right? That's what we, we need our wingmen, our wingwomen around me to help us just feel a bit more courage. 
There's something special, right? When people get together, they encourage each other to keep going. Empowering the mission in front of us to overcome obstacles and hardships because you have people in your corner to back you and support you. We need each other. And for many of us, isn't that true? Even more so for us who are Christians in the room, even more so as Christians living in our world, how will we treat one another so that we can keep on going? If you're not a Christian here today, I hope this is still helpful for you to think about why Christianity, uh, why we believe in Christianity, why we believe in Jesus, and why the church is such an essential part of what we do. But part of our vision here at Providence is to be a church loving Jesus, loving each other, and loving our world. And today I want us to see about that part of the vision, loving each other. What does that look like? How does the gospel of Jesus, what we believe in, overflow to the way we encourage and support and love one another, even when it gets tough, even when we feel the mayhem of the kitchen? We took a couple of weeks off from 1 Thessalonians, the book in the Bible. Uh, So let's recap a bit. Paul, he's the apostle of Jesus. Uh, He's the author of this letter. He's writing to this church in Thessalonica in ancient Greece. And if you read in Acts chapter 17, another book of the Bible, you'll know that uh, he was there in the city for three weeks. He was there talking about Jesus in in synagogues and planting this church, uh, the Thessalonian church. uh, And he shared his life with them. He cared for them. He genuinely loved them. But what happened though is he got chased out of town. People didn't like that. Mob formed. They wanted to arrest him here to leave. And he left this newly converted small church community of Christians on their own in Thessalonica. And after he left them, they were facing persecution for being Christians. People didn't like that they were converting to this new new religion, essentially. To be a Christian in Thessalonica would have been dangerous. It would have been scary. It would have been difficult. Now, that's the context of this letter. Paul knows that. So we're in chapter 3. Uh, he, he knows that and he's sharing this with them now. In chapter 3, verse 1, let's read it again together if you have your Bibles open. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. I'll stop there. Listen to this language that Paul uses. We're destined for trials and hardships. Friends, this is the reality of the Christian faith. I can't water it down for you, right? The Christian life comes with trials and struggles and pressure and hardships. You can imagine how tricky it would have been for them, this, this early church, you know, 2,000 years ago. We had this guy, Paul, the apostle, he came, he taught, he modeled the gospel to them, he told them to believe in Jesus, and they, they became Christians. But he only stayed for three weeks, and then he left. And now you're thinking, oh, I want to tell everyone about Jesus. So you go out there into the marketplace, you're telling everyone, oh, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, he's, your, he's my, my Lord and my Savior. And you're, you have this joy, this spiritual high, but the people in the city don't like that. You go to your workplace, your gym, your, your public square, and you keep facing people who, are, who actually oppose you for being a Christian. Imagine being a the Thessalonian church. You've got to face the reality that you, will, you might and will get beaten, mocked, scorned for being a follower of Jesus. As a young Christian, how would you feel? Wouldn't it just be easy to throw in the town and say, oh. no, that's not me. That, you, got, you got me confused with someone else. Wouldn't that be easier? Paul says there are real trials we have to face, standing up for the faith even in the face of ridicule and abuse. Yet isn't this the Christian life? Paul the apostle, he models that. He he writes about his own struggles, 
uh, as a Christian, uh, as, a, as a pastor, as a church planner, as someone who goes around and tells people about Jesus. In, in 2 Corinthians 11, it's, it's a well-known passage. I'll read it to you, just a section of it. He talks about what he went through and he, the sufferings he endured. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, so non-Jews, in danger of the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false beliefs. He went through a lot, didn't he? For being a Christian. Paul knows the trials and persecutions and afflictions that will come for the Christian. We shouldn't be surprised. We follow a crucified saviour whose message is, is one of love and faith, but it's countercultural to the world around us as well. But while we should expect afflictions, we should also be wary that there's a spiritual battle being fought too. He says in verse 5, I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. See, when the church reads this stuff, the Paul is saying, he's, he's, he's not talking just trials, at the, the physical hardships that we face in the scripture. There's a spiritual battle being fought too with the one we call Satan. He's the tempter. He's at work. He, que- he makes us question God's goodness and existence. The tempter leads us astray. The tempter will give you half-truths. He will give you half-truths that tell you, oh, sin is not that bad. God won't mind. You'll be right. The, the tempter who constantly tries to, to, to gaslight you, telling you that you're crazy for being a Christian, that you're not worthy, perhaps. It's so much easier to just live a life without God. Ditch the Christian faith. Look at your friends. Look at their life. Wow, isn't that much better than following God? The tempter does that. The adversary who prowls around looking for someone to devour, leading us into sin, so we'll dishonor, distrust, and disobey God. Isn't that how Satan works? He makes us question God. Is God really good? The world keeps saying that to us, doesn't it? Mikey, you do you. But what if you do you? That very advice is what the tempter, Satan, wants us to keep hearing. You do you, Mikey. Don't worry if it's in conflict with what God wants of you. Even if it means disobedience towards God, even if it means disunity in the church, you do you. And Paul speaks into this because this is what's at work underneath the surface. There's a spiritual battle going on. Paul says you're destined for trials, you're destined for hardships, struggles, and at times you'll be tempted. Stand firm, he says. Persevere. What Paul writes to the Thessalonians here is really that truth that we have to accept and embrace this. As Christians, we're going to face trials. Now, we might not face the same trials as uh, Christians living in the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago, right? Our country might be heading towards it. You know, we, we hear stuff about in the news all the time that being a Christian, you're, you're labeled as dangerous by society, by certain politicians or whatever. But it's, it is getting harder, isn't it? It is getting harder to talk freely about our faith with our friends. It's easy to pretend that it's not important to you, to avoid that awkward conversation or the, those judgy looks if you talk about being a Christian. I'm into the um, shrimp and fish hobby, right? Fish tanks and all that stuff. And I was um, buying something off country, because that's what I do. And I was talking to this young girl. She just started sharing her life with me about how she's struggling with depression and loneliness. And, and I know it wasn't my place. I'm never going to see this girl again. And so I said, look, do you want to come to church? Oh, my goodness. Like, the way she, her eyes rolled back in her head, all, and she looked at me, she's like, are you serious? I'm good, thanks. She was just not 
at all. She didn't even, it's like it was offensive to ask her that. It was offensive to invite her to church. I don't know if you've ever had that experience before. Uh, trials might look like that for you. It might look like um, simply the hardship of, of just being a Christian every day. Sometimes it's a struggle to get out of bed to read our Bibles to pray. Sometimes the struggle is to get to church on Sunday mornings when the bed is a lot warmer and more comfortable. Sometimes it's, it's, it's easier not to explain why you're only having one drink tonight, to explain to your friends why you believe in sexual purity when all your mates think you're missing out. Those moments will take courage to stand by your convictions. It will require you to face those trials, but keep going. Don't let the tempter entice or lure you to think a life without Jesus is somewhat better. Sure, it might be appealing in the short term. But there's so much joy and life to be had in Jesus than without. Afflictions and hardships come hand in hand with the Christian life. Don't be surprised when you feel the struggle. But isn't that why we need community? Isn't that why we need community so much more? During times of affliction and trials, don't we need each other even more? We don't need to be a Christian to understand this idea, right? When we see tragedy in the world, don't we see people coming together for each other? When we heard about George Floyd's death in the U.S. and the Black Lives Matter movement, didn't people come together for the plight of injustice for people of color? When we heard about Ukraine and Russia, which is still ongoing, haven't we seen people around the world rally together to lend support to Ukraine? Perhaps something closer to home. Don't we see people come together when, when a loved one or a parent is sick or dying? Isn't that when family comes together and unites? putting all your issues aside because it's in those moments of hardship that we need each other. It's that human wiring in all of us, the way God created us, where we need relationships. And what Christians need too, as we struggle through life, we need Christian community and fellowship. It's so important. I'm going to read a few verses from this passage, and you're going to let, just listen to the times where Paul uh, speaks about his love for this church and how, how much they affect him as well. Verse 2, we sent Timothy, who is your brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. Verse 6, But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you, have always, that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? God has made us for relationships. Paul's writing from another city in ancient Greece, Corinth, and he can't go back to Thessalonica for whatever reason. So he sends Timothy, his co-worker, back, his brother in Christ. He goes, Timothy, go and encourage this church. We know what it's like to be away from the church, don't we? We know what, how important it is to come face to face. Last two years, we've been in, there have been times we've been in lockdown. We had to do church online. We still do church online for those who can't make it because they're sick or for whatever reason. It sucks to watch church online, right? We miss coming together. We miss being face-to-face. -face. We miss being able to share life and embrace one another. There's something special about meeting together to share life and, and walk through the trenches together. Paul wants them to know that, you know, keep going. Here's, we'll send Timothy face to face and he gets a report from Timothy and he hears that they're standing firm in the Lord. This brings Paul joy to hear this news because he loves his church family and he wants to see them flourish because God has made us for relationships. You see, the beauty of Paul's heart is that it all, it all stems from a place where he knows Jesus. 
He has a relationship with Jesus himself and Paul because he knows the love of Christ for his own life, that deep treasure, that deep fullness, it overflows to his church family around him. We heard uh, a few weeks ago in chapter 2 how he loved them like a nursing mother. He encouraged them like a father to them. He has this, this family language. He loves them like his own family because he knows the love of God for himself. It's an overflow of that love from Jesus. You see, Christian community isn't some afterthought that God came up with, go to church, because you should. Meet other Christians, get to know other Christians, because you should. It's what happens when the gospel takes root. When you believe in Christ, when you know the goodness of who Jesus, the kindness he's expressed to you, the generosity, it's a love that overflows from that. I mean, look around the room. There are people in this room who are so vastly different to you, right? People here who, who like badminton. What? People here who like bouldering. People here who like going on park runs. Come on. People who watch Korean drama. But then others who are into murder mysteries. We're so different in this room. Vastly different. Personality differences. Cultural differences. Even political differences. Yet we're all under the same roof, united by the same gospel, worshipping the same Lord Jesus. Yeah, amen. Church community is not some optional afterthought designed by God. It's an expression of the gospel in our lives. See, our unity together is what God intended for us. He desires us to be in relationship with him, yes, but he gifts us and calls us to, be in, to express that love that we have to one another, to express it to one another and to receive it as well from those around you. Because frankly, we all need it. In times of trials and afflictions, we need those around us to keep the flame burning. But let me clarify something for you. We are still imperfect. And we're not expecting human beings to do what God can only do, to meet some deep need of validation or affirmation. We can't expect everyone to love us the way we want to be loved all the time either. Right? Some need hugs, yes. But you should never go to my brother-in-law Billy for a hug. He will not, he'll just freeze up. Some need hugs, some need words of affirmation, some need action, you know, acts of service, all, all that sort of stuff. Not everyone is going to function the way you want them or expect them to or will know how to. Some need time to heal here. Some need time to know how to or learn how to take initiative. Yet what we should hope for is still a community that cares about Jesus and that cares about one another. And we all need to play our part in seeing that come to fruition. To be contributors, not consumers, not just consumers. All right? We're an imperfect bunch and we won't get it right all the time. We will work through times of division. At times, there will be division. We're, we're sinful at times. Times of disunity. But the bottom line is that we strive to live out our faith. And what we envision here at Providence is a church loving Jesus and loving one another because we know the love of God in our lives. And when we do that well, this is what it looks like. A community of God's people encourage, encouraging one another, strengthening one another, sharpening one another, even in suffering. A community of God's people that finds joy in, in each other's presence as we seek to serve Jesus together, on the mission together. A community of God's people with renewed enthusiasm even every time we meet. Look at how Paul feels. He was, even in distress and persecution, we were encouraged. For now we really live since you're standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough? You can hear that language. He's encouraged that we're given more courage to keep going. He says, for now we really live. They've been refreshed and renewed enthusiasm for the gospel. They're overjoyed that he's thanking God for them because they're walking faithfully with Jesus even amidst the sufferings and trials that they're enduring. I love this because it's not just one way either, is it? 
the Thessalonian church, they're encouraged by Timothy. Timothy goes to them to encourage them. But then there, Timothy and Paul are mutually encouraged. They're mutually refreshed, mutually strengthened in their joy and endurance for the gospel. Now we really live. Wow, that enthusiasm. I don't know if you guys have had that enthusiasm when you come to church. Wow. Now we really live. People who know me when I'm at home know that I'm not enthusiastic. I'm not an enthusiastic person, right? You could describe me as deadpan, as the best description. When I'm at home, chill, right? But my, I think, <laughs> my enthusiasm rises a little bit when I come to church each Sunday. People are like, wow, Mikey, when you're on stage, you're like, well, it's not fake. It's because I actually like seeing you guys. I love hearing the stories of how God is at work in your life. When I come to church to see my brothers and sisters in Christ, and you're living out your faith, even amongst the trials that you might face day by day, and you still show up every week to encourage others to, wow, I get enthusiastic about that. You're not just here, let me say this, you're not just here for yourself. Do you realize that? Yes, you come because you want to learn about Jesus. Yes, you come because you, want to, you might want to see your friends. But you realize when you come and show up each week, you actually encourage me. You encourage the people around you as well. And guess what that results in? Even if it's just a little, a renewed enthusiasm for living out the gospel, to keep going. Your presence here impacts those around the church. And for Paul here, like, as insignificant as that might feel for you, it actually makes an impact. You see, for Paul in the church, they're living in different cities. He's in Corinth, they're in Thessalonica, different contexts, they're facing different challenges and trials. But through Timothy going and seeing them face-to-face and hearing about their, fa- their faith, even amongst the struggles, they're overjoyed. Is that true of us here? Even more so, aren't you encouraged when you hear another brother or sister at church wanting to get baptized? That gives you renewed faith, doesn't it? Renewed enthusiasm. When you hear stories of how people stood for their faith amongst their struggles, doesn't it also encourage you when when someone uh, reaches out to you and encourages you at times? When you get that text message, when someone speaks a word of love, takes a time out to meet with you, to read the Bible with you, share life with you, even if you're going well, to pray with you after church, to share their life with you and encourage you to keep on going. Friends, trust me, I need this too, all right? People see me as a pastor, but I'm human. Let me be real. I've been pastoring uh, Providence here for eight years now. Absolute privilege. Uh, so many joys of being a pastor, seeing people come to faith, being able to baptize people, marry some people here. You know, but it comes along with hardships. I'll be honest with you. Leading a church to grow, to pastorally caring for people, the constant ongoing pressures of, of expectations and criticism from within and externally as well along with my own personality and my anxieties and deep desire to see more come to faith, there's a, there's a burden that I carry. A love for my church family, and, and, and there's a toll. And I say this not to, not to whinge, right? And not to complain, not to sound discontent or ungrateful. Uh, the truth is pastors don't like talking about this stuff because we don't want to come across like that. And the truth is we all have it hard in life. Work is hard. Family can be hard. Life is stressful. We all, I'm not trying to put myself or any other you know, pastors on it. This is what we signed up for. Yes, all that stuff. But I'm saying this because I want you to know, when I come to church and I see God at work, it helps me to persevere. When I hear reports of how our church individuals like yourself are striving for holiness in your life, even when you're struggling, even if there's opposition or affliction, to be faithful and just still show up, that's sacrifice. That stuff, man, that excites me. It makes me froth. (laughs) 
because Jesus, our God, is being made much of in your life and through your life. Yeah, and just like you, it does help. It does help when I receive words of encouragement and appreciation. Well, we can be mutually encouraged. Again, I'm, I'm human, and I'm not asking for anything. Okay? I'm not expecting anything. I want to be transparent with you. This year, this year was hard. This year was really hard for me. I'm in survival mode, crawling over the finish line to get through this year because I'm weak. I'm limited. I'm finite. No matter how ambitious I might seem on the outside, but I'm still going, and I want to keep going. And I'm, it's only manageable because I have brothers and sisters in this church who have reached out to, to me and to my family to come over with meals to encourage us, people who have prayed for us, prayed for me personally, who have sent me text messages. Last month was uh, October, right? And in Amer- America, at least, they, they do this thing. It's not a thing in Australia called Pastor Appreciation Month. I'm not asking for anything. I'm not fishing for anything. <laughs> but on the 31st of October, it was really sweet. I got a couple of messages from people in our church. They said, hey, Mikey, we appreciate you. Happy Pastor's Appreciation Month. We don't say it much, but we just want you to know that. <sighs> Man, not going to lie, I needed that. My heart needed to hear simple words like that to renew and refresh me. I had people write me letters, handwritten letters. One of, the, one of the community groups here wrote me letters. Oh, man, that was, I needed that to keep me going. To remind me why I do what I do. But not only as a pastor, as a, as a Christian brother. Because I need to live out my faith too. I'm not just the shepherd, I'm also a sheep who follows our shepherd Jesus as well with you, alongside you. Again, I'm not saying all this because I want you guys to send me love letters now. You don't need to do that. Please do send a message to your community group, your, your community group leaders. Please encourage them. Week in and week out, they, they open their houses, they, they serve you, and they do that sacrificially. Encourage them. Do that for your leaders. But not just our leaders. Do it for the Christians amongst us. Do it for your, for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because I know many of you as Christians, whether you're leaders or not in the church, you go out there into our world and you'll have times where it's hard. You'll have friends and colleagues who are non-believers and it's hard to stand for your faith. You'll carry the burden of wanting to see your family and loved ones become Christians. You'll struggle with your health, physical or mental, and sometimes persevering to come to church or read your Bible or meet with other Christians, doing evangelism, loving others. That's hard. Being a Christian is hard. <laughs> and as a church for me, we need each other to share life together, to share our struggles, our hardships, our trials, and to point each other to Jesus and through our words and actions express this truth to each other. Hey, I'm with you. I'm in your corner. Let's keep enduring and persevering together. Why? Because Jesus is worth it. We have a God who has loved us because he, because he, he gave up his son for us, even when we didn't know him. A savior who has been there before us, Jesus, who knows what suffering feels like. Who knows what temptation feels like, hardship, loneliness, even betrayal. But he loved us even when we were weak, when we were helpless, directionless, purposeless, and lost. Even when we chose to reject and dismiss the God in our lives, our God. Jesus loved us to the point of sacrificially, in love and compassion, giving up his life to be nailed on a cross so that you and I can know the supreme treasure and joy of a relationship with God. We persevere and we endure because Jesus is worth it. Amen? So will we as a church, will we show up for one another here? 
Will we walk with each other, be in the trenches with one another to encourage and empower each other, to persevere as we live out the Christian faith? The author of Hebrews writes it for us, Hebrews 10. I've got it on the screen for us. It's quite a well-known verse of the Bible. Let us consider, Hebrews 10, do I have it on the screen? Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meaning together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, Paul wasn't able to meet face to face with them, but we can. Let's keep doing that, encouraging one another, supporting each other, pointing each other to Jesus through words and love and good deeds as we await Jesus to return. Paul says in this prayer, uh, in, in our prayer, in, in, back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, in verse 11, he says, May our God and Father, himself and our Lord Jesus, clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with his holy ones. You know, as we go through this life with our eyes fixed on eternity, until Jesus returns, will we share Paul's heart for the church because of the gospel that compels us? Will we be praying for each other, prayers like this? You know, yes, we want prayers for the day-to-day, you know, sickness, passing our exams, getting that job opportunity. There are everyday needs, yes, pray for those, but are we praying prayers like this for each other in regards to our faith? That our love will increase and overflow for one another. That our hearts will be, will be strengthened even if things don't go our way in this life. Even when we face hardships and afflictions and struggles. So that one day when we stand before God, we aren't boasting. We're not boasting to God about how comfortable our life was or how prosperous and rich we were. No, we're boasting about how we were faithful and we continue to love Jesus even when it was hard. We're boasting that for our friends, for one another in the church. Where we endured and persevered and finished the race and walked the narrow path and, and, and carried our cross. Pray deep prayers of faithfulness for one another. Because that's what prayer looks like. Prayers of love looks like. And that's what I hope for more than anything for each of you. And I hope you desire that for each, other, each and one another here too. Not that things will just be comfortable. Not that you'll be prosperous and happy. No, I pray for your holiness. And I pray for your faithfulness. Even when things are hard. Even when things are uncomfortable. Even when you have to face the trials. Because trials will come your way. So friends, with this life of, you know, of, of ups and downs, will we be there for each other? I want us to consider this. Providence has been around for about eight years, yes. God willing, it'll be around for much longer. Will we be steadfast in our faith in the next 20 years, in the next 30 years or 50 years, if God gives us those years? What will steadfast faith and love look like for you and for me collectively? Our generation is all about those instant results, instant gratification, as if life is a sprint. But let's think about the marathon in front of us. How will we pace ourselves How will we sustain ourselves and one another in a changing world that is increasingly more hostile to the Christian faith? Will we walk with each other? Will the saints at Providence continue to endure in the faith, persevere amidst hardships and temptations? It's only possible when it starts with the gospel that overflows into a community doing life around the gospel, united in humility, in service, in love, walking through the trenches together, standing firm in our faith, in light of the eternity, that has been secured for us in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel of Christ, that his sacrifice of love modeled to us what love looks like.
Help us, Lord, to know that love, to know that love deeply, to be people of love to one another so that we can encourage each other, empower each other, help each other, support each other when things are hard and when things are good too. Help us stand side by side in the gospel, knowing that there's a greater mission and vision that you've given to us, that one where we can live for you, one where eternity has been secured for us. Help us walk towards that destination, Lord, side by side, looking to Christ, pointing each other to Christ, no matter how hard it gets or when life is, when life is, life is, when life is difficult. I pray for that, and I pray for our church, Lord, that we will be a church loving one another because we love Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. You know, one way um, we can do that, encourage each other, are times like when we do baptisms. And we're going to be doing a baptism today. Once I... Give me a moment. I'm going to... Uh, we're going to be baptizing Archie, one of our, uh, our toddlers in our church. And we'll be doing a little bit of a baptism ceremony now as we get into it. Just give me a, give me a second. What I'm going to do is I'm going to explain a little bit to you about what baptism is. Uh, and then uh, I'm going to invite the, uh, the family up to the stage and we're going to ask them a little bit about why, they're getting, uh, why, why Archie's getting baptized. Um, in Matthew's Gospel, in the Bible, we read about how Jesus said to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The New Testament, it teaches about baptism. It teaches about how when we become Christians, we get baptized. It also teaches about how it's a sign and seal of the saving work of Jesus. It's a sign, really, of the gospel. You guys often hear me say this here um, with the Lord's Supper, and I'll say it again until, you, till, until you're saying it to each other. It's an outward sign of an inner reality. Baptism is a sign of Jesus' saving work. And it's really for two groups of people. Uh, here uh, at Providence, this is what we practice, those who have come to know Christ, and for the children of those who have been born into Christian homes. All the way back in Genesis chapter 17, we went through a series in Genesis uh, a few months ago. God declares, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Can you see that, that God's promise isn't just made to individuals? It's made to all people. And that includes our children as well, to the descendants after us. And this, this is ancient story of Abraham. He circumcised every member in his family, every, every male in his family, both young and old. It was an outward sign of that covenant, this promise that God made to them, a visible proof of it. Every man, young and old, circumcised as a way outwardly to visibly and permanently symbolize God's faithfulness and his promise to his people. The same is true with baptism today. In Colossians 2, chapter 11, we read, In Christ you are also circumcised with a circumcision, not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. How were we circumcised? Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism. I think I've got this yeah, on the screen for you. So just as circumcision was a sign of God's covenant in the Old Testament, baptism is the proof of his promise in the New Testament. While circumcision was for Israel, God's Old Testament covenant people, Baptism is for us New Testament Christians. 
The promise that God made to Abraham and sealed by circumcision is the very same promise that he kept in Jesus sealed in baptism. So just as circumcision was given both to young and old, baptism is a gift to not only Christian adults, but also to our children. So in Acts chapter 2, the apostle Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So you can see, can't you? Circumcision didn't save Abraham or his children. God did. God saved them. And baptism doesn't save us or our children. Jesus saves us. God saves us. And just like circumcision, baptism, the pouring of water, that's what we do here, or going under, getting dunked, it's a sign of God's saving work. It's an outward, visible, and permanent reminder of what God has decisively done in Jesus. You know, the water we have today is nothing special, right? It's just from the tap. It's nothing magical about it. But it does act as a sign of spiritual cleansing. The water itself doesn't save the child. Only Jesus can and does. Which means, in one sense, too, our baptism is not even dependent on our fleeting and fickle faith. Faith is important, but if baptism was only about our personal faith, I'm getting baptized because I have a faith now, it would offer very little assurance, wouldn't it? Because our faith waxes and wanes each and every day. We need a sign more sure, more steadfast than our faith. A sign of God's steadfast, steadfast faithfulness towards us. Baptism is not a celebration of our decision. It's a celebration of God's promise. It's not a sign of our faith. It's a sign of God's faithfulness. It's not a symbol of what we've done for God. It's a symbol of what God has done for us. It's not about us. It's all about him. And so today, Andrew and Rachel bring Archie to be baptized because as the son of believing parents, the promise of the gospel is for him as well. Even though Archie might not have a personal faith of his own yet, as was the case for many of the children of Israel, we're baptizing him this day because of God's faithfulness to him. This day sits entirely outside of himself and praise God for that. For when he grows up and as an adult, on the days where his faith is weak and on the days when his trust in the Lord wavers, he can remember in his baptism that he has a God who is faithful even when he's faithless. While he was weak, God was strong. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'm going to invite Annie and Rachel and Archie to the stage now. Hi. Hi, little man. <laughs> Andy and Rachel, baptism is a gift of the Lord, Jesus, to us. It's the sign and seal of his promises and brings us into the people of God. So why do you both, as parents, want to baptize Archie today? A microphone. Because we believe that... Um God chose us, he loves us, and we love him. Um, and we also believe that we will serve God in our house, as Joshua 24. Um, and yeah, baptism is our outwardly sign that we have faith in the Lord. Yeah. To acknowledge that promise. To, and to acknowledge the promise, as you were just saying, yeah. that, uh, that God has made to us. And uh, yeah, to try and... Um, Start them on the right path yeah. towards, uh, towards the cross. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Uh, and that's it. It's on the right path, that first step as, you know, God's people. Uh, as you take that first step then, uh, getting baptized today, Archie getting baptized, what do you hope for Archie, for his life and for his faith as he grows up? 
Um, I would like to think that hopefully once he's all grown up and he's grown up in the church and uh, his faith is strong and he can walk to a different beat of a, of a different drum to those around him and he can be that light that people question why he's different. And uh, yeah, hopefully that can uh, lead others to, to seek out what's so different for him and why he, uh, he carries himself differently. Yeah. 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 You want to say something? No, no, don't eat it. Who wants to eat it? <laughs> okay, let it go. Isn't that great? Uh, one of the things... <laughs> and, I, and I just read a quote the other day from uh, Christopher Ash. He's an author in the US. And, and thinking about, you know, like putting him on that path and, and wanting him to, to be uh, stand out and, and to love Jesus and to be a light to the world around us. Uh, I think that the, the, one of the privileges you guys have as parents is to, um, is to, to see that see God at work in his life, to be uh, mentors, spiritual mentors, for, and he's your first disciple in a sense, to, to see him raise up to love Jesus as well. Um, not your first, but you know, one of your disciples to, to raise up as well. Uh, one, the, the quote I read from Christopher Ash, uh, and this is about Archie, one of, the, one of the greatest and most undervalued privileges of growing up in a Christian family is that there won't be a day in your life that you won't be prayed for. You know, and I hope that's true for Archie, you know, that as parents, you guys will be praying for him, hoping that, he'll, uh, that, that God will, 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 will shower his love upon him and Archie will know the love of Christ and live for Christ in his life as well. But let's pray for him now. Let's do that. Let's do a short prayer uh, and, and ask for God to be at work. Merciful God, for the sake of your son, grant that Archie, whom we baptize in water, may be saved through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. May he die to sin and rise again to righteousness. May your spirit live and work in him, that he may be yours forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who died and rose again for us. Amen. Amen. Children are baptized uh, in response to God's all-embracing love. Parents who have responded to that love come now to bring their children uh, to, for baptism. Before this congregation, they must express their own trust and commitment uh, to the promises of God and their intention to bring up their children in the faith and practice of the church. In due time... Archie, these children should make their own response to God in time and be prepared for what we call confirmation here when they're, when they're adults. Uh, Andrew and Rachel, since you are presenting Archie uh, for baptism, you're asked to answer a few questions, a few vows, in a sense, before God and our church family, our congregation. There are vows on the screen. Uh, firstly, do you confess Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, as your supreme treasurer in life above all things? Do you accept the promises of God in the saving work of Jesus, who died for your sin and rose again from the dead? And do you affirm the truth of the Christian faith, by which is proclaimed in the Bible and taught in his church? By God's grace, we do. Secondly, do you believe that Archie, though sinful by nature from the beginning of our lives and deserving of God's judgment and eternal punishment, is by God's mercy set apart in Christ and therefore as a member of Christ's household ought to be baptized. By God's grace, by God's grace we do. Thirdly, do you accept that Archie will have to confess Jesus Christ as his own personal Lord and Saviour, as his supreme treasure in life above all things when he comes of age? And so do you promise in reliance on the Holy Spirit to do everything in your power to instruct him in the Christian faith, to help him love and serve Jesus and to lead him by your example into a life where Jesus is supremely treasured? above all things. By God's grace, we do. <laughs> Swap. Swap over. Uh, baptism is not only a sign uh, of God's promises and faithfulness, it's also a sign of our belonging to his people, God's family. 
So Andrew and Rachel cannot raise their son in the, way that, uh, in the way of the Lord alone. They need the help of God's people and you, this congregation here today, his, their church family. So now I'm going to ask the congregation a question, and I want to ask you guys uh, to make a promise as well. Do you promise to receive Archie into this fellowship of believers to pray for him, help instruct him in the faith, remind him of God's every promise, and encourage him to persevere in faith, hope, and love? Great. There's no better picture of baptism, a child born in, into sin, but helpless, weak, and absolutely dependent, unable to save ourselves, needing more than anything else, God's work of unconditional grace, just like all of us. We're all called here to surrender to the Lord. Jesus in absolute trust and dependence on him for our forgiveness. Archie's going to be baptized as a child of those who belong to the people of God, to parents who have responded to Jesus in absolute trust and dependence for their forgiveness and salvation, who know God personally in their own lives, in obedience to the scriptures, that we've read. God's promises is also to hold out Archie, uh, is, is also hold out Archie in the sign, um, the symbol of baptism here today. Archie is baptized uh, with the understanding that he'll be brought up as a faithful believer in God's community to love and follow the Lord, to treasure him uh, above all things. And as he grows up, he'll need encouragement, good teaching, the help of good examples so that he may learn to worship and put God first, to put his faith and trust in Jesus, to serve others and to take his place, place in the life of the church. Are we ready? Archie, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Oh. <laughs> Amen. Archie, as a son of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, never be ashamed of Jesus, who died for you and has risen as King over all. Keep trusting him, loving him, and serving him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Friends, we're going to do a welcome. We're going to do a charge. I'm going to ask you a few questions. And I want you guys uh, yeah, to respond if you can, if you will, if you're willing, uh, to live a, for, for him to live a life that's worthy of the gospel. As the words come up on the screen, I want to encourage you, encourage you to be encouraging, to declare this with enthusiasm and joy uh, if you believe it. It's on the screen. Archie, live as a disciple of Christ. Fight the good faith. Finish the race. Keep the faith. Confess Christ, crucify. Proclaim his resurrection. Look for his coming glory. God has brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Shine as a light in the world to the glory of God the Father. God has called you into his church. Let's pray. Merciful God, in your infinite love, you have made a new covenant with us in your Son and Saviour, Jesus, promising to be our God and the God of our children. Enable all who are baptised in your name to live as your covenant people. Fulfil your promises for this child, we pray, and grant that he may grow in your faith and service until his life's end. We pray for Andrew and Rachel as the parents of this child. Give them the spirit of wisdom and love. May Archie grow up to love and reverence you and their home share in the joy of your eternal kingdom. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.